Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there, parents. We're back again with Ayers on the Road. It's Ayers on the Road again, and uh, baby, 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 we are not on the road. We're in the air. We're we're actually, uh, at the time that you are listening to this, we are in, we're on a European speaking tour, and it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, uh, it has a little alliteration because the places we're going to all start with P. We're going to Prague, we're going to Paris, and we're going to Poland. Pa, 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 pa. <laughs> and, and so uh, we'll actually be there as you're listening to today's show. So keep that in mind. But what we wanted to do on today's show is something that came up last week and we just felt impressed that we ought to go a little further with it, and that is, and this you may say, oh, this is just for older parents who are financially secure and so on. Not so. We want to talk about what is the best philosophy to have vis-a-vis not only helping kids to handle money, but for you as a parent, what do you want to do at the end of your life? Do you want to have an inheritance for your children? Do you want to? Um, how do you? How do you factor the whole big ball of wax called money, whether you have a lot of it or a little of it? How do you factor it into what you want your family to become, both now and into the future, and even beyond the time you're here? And you know, we know everybody's in a different financial situation, so we're walking on thin ice here because um, some people are just making it month to month and other people have money that's disposable and they're trying to figure out what's the best way to do it, what's the best thing to do with it. But I did have an interesting discussion with my book club recently about how to handle married children and what to tell them about inheritance and what to expect and what not to expect. And I think that's one of the main things is to tell them what to expect. I, we have, I have a friend whose father is very wealthy, and, you know, everyone really loves him, but they're just kind of waiting for him to die because they really... <laughs> He's um, worth more dead than alive. <laughs> definitely, is. their lives are going to change once he dies. And, I mean, that's cruel to say because, of course, they adore him, but, you know, that is in the back of their minds. You know, they're thinking, you know, when Dad dies, then I can get this and I can do that, and... It's just, to us, it's kind of a sad thing. Well, it really is. And um, I guess I guess what I want to say sort of at the outset, as you think about your family, whatever, whatever age your kids are, whether they're grown kids or whether they're little kids, as you think about your family and as you think about the sort of material side of life, I guess I guess what what we all worry most about are the two extreme ends of the spectrum. On the one end, we all we all obviously worry about it, whether it's ourselves or other families, when there is insufficient money even to live. We obviously worry about people who are out of work. We worry about families that don't have an income. We worry about kids that are not eating well because of that, or who don't have. Uh, proper clothing. I mean, we're obviously worried about poverty when it occurs, but what's interesting is the other extreme end of the spectrum is almost as worrisome because in our travels, you would not believe how many kids we run onto who are probably worse off than they would be if they had no money at all because what they've got 
is too much money. And what they've got is parents who are not wise enough to handle that money well. And so they these are kids with no motivation. These are kids who are like, I just waited out. You know, my family's got a ton of money. It's eventually going to be mine. Maybe there's a trust fund. When I'm 21, I'll start getting money. Or when I'm, you know, it's it's just the worst possible scenario for a kid as far as motivation and finding himself and becoming self-sufficient. Why would he become self-sufficient? He knows that his needs are covered the rest of his life. Now, do all kids who are in extreme poverty or who are in extreme wealth turn out to be bums? No. Uh, As we know, there's wonderful stories about kids who have virtually nothing and are raised way below the poverty line and somehow they rise up to become wonderful contributing member of society and we know there are a lot of people who are given everything including way more money than they probably have any business having and yet they turn out wonderfully they become philanthropists or they use their time for charity or for public service or whatever so this is not a rule but but i'm just saying by and large linda if you're on the either real extreme end of that spectrum and you're a kid, you've got some problems to overcome. Yeah, let me just add to that that we speak a lot to um, young presidents who are the presidents of their companies and so on. About a third of them are entrepreneurs, but about a, a third actually have money inherited from their family. And usually they're wonderful because they know that they have the responsibility, they've figured out how to make the business work and so on. Um, but there are also the sad stories of those who just can't handle it. So, Well, that's because, Linda, the ones we're talking to are the ones who did it, who made it successfully. But for every one of them, there might be ten of them out there um, you know, on rehab or something because they never developed any motivation and they were just handed everything. So yeah, that's true. We don't see that end of it. We don't see spectrum. that end of it. But let, let's get away from that now because let's be honest. Most of us, the vast majority of us, are not on either end of that spectrum. We're not, we're not looking for our next meal, but at the same time, we're certainly not wealthy. And and so what about the rest of us? What about, I hate to use the term 99%, but what about the, the those of us somewhere in the middle? How should we think about money? How should we, how should it affect our children? And how can we, and how much control do we have over how it affects our children? And I want to, I want to divide this into two categories, Linda. I want to say the first sub-question of that is, how do you handle money with your kids as far as allowances, as far as having them do chores in the home, as far as uh, helping them be self-sufficient but but have some interest in, in their own lives and what they buy? And, and, and we've done some pretty extensive talking yeah. about that with the entitlement trap. Yeah, so we won't stay on that too much. But the other half of it is how do you set up your own finances as a parent so that at best – serves your children now and in the future. I mean, now meaning, you know, they're with you now. Let's say they're, they're, you're a parent with kids in your home. How do you set up your own finances so that best serves your children now and it best serves them when they're going to college and it best serves them if they go on a mission or a humanitarian thing and finally it best serves them when you die and they are still here. How do you – what is the formula – 
for setting up your finances so that it benefits rather than Hinders. in some way penalizing. I was trying to think of alliteration, but I couldn't come up with a bad thing that started with a B. Bene- benefits or beleaguers your children. How's oh, that? there we go. All right. Perfect. All right, so starting with the kids, we do feel that it is really important that they feel that they have ownership of their own money somehow. Just so Um, they can become financially savvy. There are so many different ways to do it, and we've outlined uh, the way we did it in the entitlement trap, which was released a few months ago, and... And some parents can do that just spot on and do a better job than we did, and others just say that just doesn't work for us. But we got the idea. We understand what you're saying here about ownership, and we've figured out our own system. Well, and and I and just to cut through so we don't feel like we're shortchanging you, because some of you may have not heard earlier shows we've done on on you know money systems within your home, but you can play catch-up football in a big hurry just by going to entitlementtrap.com. Entitlement and then trap, T-R-A-P, because that's what it is. It it catches kids, so entitlementtrap.com. But in a nutshell, you know, the whole thing is the challenge is on you, parents, to work out a system in your family that's not a bailout welfare system where kids just get handed money. That is poison to their system and to their self-sufficiency. Figure out your own system where there's certain responsibilities they have and how much money they get each week is directly proportionate to how many of their responsibilities they remember to do without you, you know, pushing them or nagging them or reminding them a million times. And, and again, the details for that are at entitlementtrap.com. But the, the principle underneath it is once they've earned their money, even if it's earning it in a sort of a family economy you've created within your own home, and even more so if they, when they get old enough to start earning some money outside the home by mowing lawns or babysitting or whatever, once they've earned it and perceive it as their money, you have really accomplished something as a parent because now they'll buy stuff with that money and they will have ownership of that stuff they buy and they'll hang up their clothes and they'll put away their toys because they owned them and, by golly, they worked for them and they paid for them. Absolutely, and we've found that that is magic for kids. They really do need to feel that they own what they have and that if they want special stuff, if they are working for a game, a computer game, or whatever it is that they need at the moment, a prom dress, um, or just a toy, it is so good for them to work for it and feel that they have earned it. There's so much satisfaction for kids who have that. And, you know, when kids do that, I, I, I swear, Linda, you can actually, you can tell, I mean, if... Maybe I'm overstating this, but I'll bet you if if you were around, let's say, a 10-year-old for a half a day, and let's say you didn't even ask him about, well, how do you earn money or how does your parent, how do your parents handle money, I swear you'd be able to tell just by the demeanor and the approach and even the humility. Kids who, kids who have learned to work, kids who have a work ethic, kids who don't get stuff handed to them all the time and, and think the world owes them a living. You know, it reflects in, through their very personalities. And no one, the bottom line is no one likes 
an entitled kid. I mean, they're insufferable. They're they're like, what are you going to do for me now? You know, I mean, that's sort of their whole paradigm of life. Whereas if if you're talking to a kid who who's learned to shoulder some responsibility and who, you know, knows how to work, you're probably going to have a lot more pleasant kid. I mean, it's probably going to be a humbler kid and someone who's just a nicer person than someone who, uh, I mean, think about the word itself, entitlement. That's originally that meant you were going to become the next king, you were, or duke, or whatever. You you were entitled. You had a title. And what do you think of when you think of that? Well, it's probably someone looking down their nose at you and thinking that they can run the world. And nobody likes to meet a kid with that personality. Well, I have to say that we have lots of grandchildren, 23 to be exact, and uh, and we have nine kids. So they all they were all raised in the same house with the same economy, the same kind of um, instructions. And Wait, stuff. are you going to say some of them are entitled? And I'm saying they're all different. <laughs> okay. But what I was was going to say is that when you see the next generation <coughs> and how our children handle their children with money, they're all really good so far, really good, but some are more extreme than others, and I don't know how our last one's going to turn out. She can't keep a nickel in her pocket for five minutes, but she's now got a responsible job, so we'll, that will come out in the wash in the She's next not entitled. She's just sort of a, uh, what do you call it, a spend, Poor. spendthrift. <laughs> you poor. call it poor. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, but it is so fun to see how ch- how our grandchildren handle money, and we have one son and daughter-in-law who just believe in work. They went full full extreme. The full <laughs> extreme. I mean, not only them, and we don't have time to explain their lifestyle, but they're, they're kind of gypsies. They, they buy houses and flip them and wherever, but they choose where they want to live, first of all, and then they buy the house. They, and, and they work hard. And they boy, work And their so kids hard. have to work hard. If, if their kids want something, they just say, well... I can think of a number of ways you could earn that money. I'll be happy to be your consultant and help you figure out how to get a job. <laughs> Honestly, they have a nine-year-old who bought her own horse. She was so such a horse lover, lover so determined that she was going to buy a horse, that she did all everything she could, from the simple lemonade stand that we all know about, to going around the neighborhood with the toilet brush in her hand and saying, I will clean your toilets for a dollar. I and, hope she uh, raised her price on that. I house. hope she did, too. I mean, you it should be able the whole to get bathroom. two or three bucks a toilet. Yeah, you think so. But she did raise $100. She bought her little horse up in Washington State for $100 and then all of her tack and everything for $100. And she bought the feed for that horse. And when our with their little cousins last summer said, "Well, Aniston, um, how come your horse doesn't have shoes?" And she says, "Are you kidding? I can't afford shoes. Shoes cost more than the entire horse." <laughs> this is a barefoot horse. <laughs> anyway, we're we're out of time for this first segment. But when we come back after a brief break, we'll move into the other half of the equation, namely, how do you want to set up your own money, your own estate as parents in a way that doesn't ever work in a negative sense on your children. Be right back. back. And here we are back again and uh, for the last segment of today's version of Ayers on the Road. And we're going to try, Linda, to do a little estate planning now as though we were accountants. Ha, ha. We're the furthest thing from that. But we're glad we have accountants. (laughs) Yes, we are. Yes, we are. 
And I'm I'm going to go radical on you. I'm going to suggest something that uh, a lot of you are like, what are you talking about? But I, I think it's something worth considering. And that, and, and there's, there's sort of two sides to this coin. If I were a, a younger parent today and I was trying to think what I could do that would eventually benefit my kids most, I actually would not think in terms of, how can I maximize the amount of money that they're going to inherit when I die? I wouldn't actually think that way because, again, that gets into this entitlement and kids who think, oh, I got it made, I'm going to get money from dad. Of course, most of us are never going to have enough money to make our kids rich anyway. We're just, we just want to do the best that we can by them. But, but consider this. Consider the possibility... Well, first of all, you got to make some assumptions about how long you'll live, and this is real work for an estate planner because you may want to have something there in the way of insurance or whatever in case your life ends before you hoped it would, and that, that's obvious. That goes without saying. But make the assumption that you do live a normal lifespan, and so, you know, your kids, by the time you leave this earth, are probably in their 40s or their 50s or even their 60s. Now, do you want to have worked all your life so that those kids can sort of get all the money you've saved over your life? Probably not. I read a book not long ago that I thought was pretty inspiring, and it had a particularly inspiring title. It was called Die Broke, and it was this long. <laughs> like some of one. you have seen it, and maybe maybe you know that this is like, Spend your money while you're alive. Go, you know, if you have a little extra money, instead of putting it all in some account that your kids will inherit, use it for family gatherings. Use it for helping your kids now on things they need. And don't be so consumed with how much am I going to eventually have in my estate. Because for most people, by the time they die, their kids will be well along into their own middle age and, uh, in most cases, we'll have somewhat of a financial stability, we would hope, by that time. So, so here's my two radical suggestions. Number one, think about skipping a generation and setting up something that, is, that, that has some money in it, if you can afford it, saving up for your grandchildren and for their education. But have it be a matching kind of a trust where if you have a grandchild who... Uh, can can earn a certain amount of money, do you decide the percentages, then that amount allows them to tap into some matching funds from your estate to help with their college or to help with their mission if you're a member of the LDS Church and you wanted to go for that or whatever. But But put it in that kind of a situation, and then that's really a gift to two generations because it'll help your grandchildren at some point and... It will take a lot of pressure off your own children. Believe me, I mean, what is on? If you want to know what's on the mind of most young parents today, you ask them about college for their kids. Are you putting away money for college for your kids? And they'll usually say, "Are you kidding? I'm having a hard time making ends meet and saving a tiny bit of money for the rainy day." Well, what a gift if you, as the grandparent, now whether you're a grandparent now or whatever, when you get to be one. What a gift for those kids to know that some help is coming for them on this very expensive business of a, of a college. That's one of my two radical suggestions, Linda. Do you want to comment on that before I go on to the other radical one? No, I, I'm used to you being radical, so 
It's okay, but I I hope the audience is okay with it. Well, we hope the audience knows. We're not assuming that you have some ton of money you're going to save away, but most people, I will say this, most people who live a good long life do at some point in time have some money or some resources or a house or whatever that they want to go to the benefit of their children, their their. And I'm just saying, rather than just have that be something the lawyer hands out when your will is read, set it up so that you're actually designating that whatever you have goes to help those grandkids with their college education. Now, the, the, rad, the other radical suggestion, and, and some people say, oh, that's just for people that have a ton of money, and the fact is it isn't. And that is to set up some kind of a family foundation, some kind of a fund where whatever money's in there, whether it's a lot or a little, is earmarked and designated for doing good work with, for doing humanitarian work, for doing charity work, for doing philanthropy. And even if it's a small amount of money, if you make your kids the directors or the excuse me, the board that runs that little entity and it could it could be set up as a non profit a foundation, or it could just be a fund. There's ways to use it in a tax-free way to put in that kind of a fund. <laughs> then you've got the wonderful thing to look forward to that someday, maybe it'll be soon, maybe it'll be late, your children will actually be not fighting over your money, but actually discussing with each other what NGO to give it to, what charity to give it to. Should we send a little bit of money to the starving kids in India? Should we use some of this to help Indians on a reservation? I mean, what a wonderful thing as a legacy to have your kids have a little bit of money that you've supplied which they can give to worthy causes. Uh, We've been working on this for a long time, and we've found that this family foundation has helped as much as anything we've done with our older kids because we we have a board meeting once a year at the reunion, and um, they get together, and it's probably the most interesting meeting that we have because they really talk about, and we've asked them to be intimately involved with this organization that they want to help, if possible. And we've been lucky enough to send them to a lot of interesting places to um, to give. We're working with Rising Star in India and uh, Send Alliance in uh, Ethiopia and several, several um, organizations that are Care for Life and so many. But they have just really gravitated to all of these places that need help so desperately, and they're thinking more about how can we help these people in these these horrendous situations more than what am I going to have and what house can I buy and so on. I think it really makes a huge difference. And so, again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but don't think we're talking here to some group of rich people. This is this is a thing that you can do, even if you come from very modest means, you're probably saving a little something somewhere, or you're trying to, you hope to at some point in life. And I'm just suggesting that whatever those savings are, you consider putting part of them into some kind of a fund that's not to go to your children. And you can set it up, by the way, so if you if you passed early, while the kids are still in a lot of need, it would actually go to your kids. But if you live out a normal life and your kids are now reasonably sufficient on their own, then this money goes to 
an entity that the kids run, which can help people who are in need. You know, it's so interesting, Linda, that, that people are, are are naturally generous, and and if if kids have something like like this where they can think about needs, and and one of the things it does is it increases their gratitude because you don't think very long about any kind of philanthropy, even on a tiny level, without realizing how enormously privileged virtually all Americans are and and almost all people who live in Western countries when you begin to compare yourself to third world countries where I'm sure I'm not teaching you anything, you listeners are aware of this, but about a third of the world right now lives on less than a dollar a day. And what a wonderful thing if if we can develop a mentality within our family that we can't help much, we can't solve the problems of the world, but we can do a little. We can do our part. We can we can try to help someone somewhere and then we're doing our our best to be good human beings. So really we are putting all of our funds at this point that is extra money into this foundation. Not very much, by the way. We don't want you to think it is. Right, but then the other, I mean, our homes, um, our places of dwelling, we, we happen to have a couple of really nice places where kids can gather, and we're leaving enough in our will so that that can be taken care of out of that fund after we leave, but it'll be a place where they can have family reunions and continue to be together. And so nobody feels like it's mine or not mine. And, and there's so many things to consider because children all have different financial needs, uh, as you probably know if you have more than one child. Some are going to do very well and not need a lot of money. Others, we have Some a, a, a school-teacher yeah. who's not ever going to be rich. But he's independent. But I mean, he's yeah. totally in, all They're all totally independent. And right. so they have to realize right now that, you know, when we pass on, there's not going to be much left other than a place to um, gather, have reunions to gather and, and, and some money, money to give away. give away. That's exactly right. Now, before, as we run out of time, because just, we just got a couple of minutes, but I... I know radio shows, especially half-hour ones, don't. This is a big subject, and we haven't had time to get very deeply into it. But we have a resource for you, and actually, this is going to be kind of fun, Linda, because it's the first time we've announced this on our radio show. We um, we have a goal, Linda and I, over the next few years, to make all of the books we've written, and it's a little embarrassing. We've now done forty books uh, over the course of these many years, and we have a goal at some point to make them all free. We, we we really want all of our books to be free to whoever wants to read them because we think ideas are free and and uh, books should be free at least after a while. Some of them have copyrights and we can't do it yet. But I want to send you listeners to a, a new website called com, all bunched together, E-Y-R-E-S, freebooks.com. And you'll see the list of our books there, and some of them are already available for free. And as luck would have it, one of them that's already available for free, and you just click on it and it'll come on your screen, is a book called Empty Nest Parenting. And in that book, you will find a lot of detail about what we've been talking about, how to think about your own finances as a parent or as a grandparent, how to come up with a formula that will benefit your children rather than pit them against each other and make them feel entitled. So with that, Linda, I'll let you bid adieu. 
Well, we just hope that you um, will remember that we understand everybody's in a different situation, but it is so important to start thinking, no matter what stage you are in life, about what you're going to do with money, because even though we don't like to admit it, it makes a huge difference in our lives and the lives of our children. See you next time on Ayers on the Road. 